Empower Radio presents the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. Break through the illusion of separation, explore the infinite field of possibility, and make connections that inspire. Now, here's your host, Dr. Julie Crawl. Hello and welcome everyone. You're listening to the Dr. Julie Show, all things connected. I'm Dr. Julie Crawl. Hey, we all long to love and be loved, right? John Lennon wrote, all you need is love. So what do we really need in this age of rapid change and transformation? Will love be enough as systems break down and evolve, as we experience dramatic shifts and climate change? Our guest today courageously reminds us that whatever future may await us, it will be shaped by our capacity for connection. I invite you to take a few deep breaths. Bring your awareness into this moment. Open your mind, connect with your heart, and settle into your essential self. And welcome whatever it is you're needing right here in this moment, right here, right now, as I introduce our guest, Carolyn Baker. Dr. Baker is the author of Collapsing Consciously, Transformative Truths for Turbulent Times, Navigating the Coming Chaos, a Handbook for Inner Transition, and Sacred Demise, Walking the Spiritual Path of Industrial Civilizations Collapse. Sounds kind of interesting, right? She lives and writes in Boulder, Colorado, and is a former psychotherapist and professor of psychology and history. Carolyn offers life coaching for people who want to live more resiliently in the present as they prepare for the future. Her newly released book, which we're going to talk a lot about today, is Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, The Relationships We Need to Thrive. Welcome, Carolyn. Oh, thank you, Julie. Thank you for having me on your show. It's really a pleasure. Oh, it's an honor to have you here. I'm really glad that you've joined us. And and this new book is really a treasure of resources and just a, a beautiful way of looking at what's happening now. And you're writing another book and you have these other recent books. It's incredible what you are manifesting right now. Well, it is. Uh, I sort of stand back in amazement and watch. Um, I never thought that at this point in my life I'd be doing so much of what I love to do, but that's what's going on. And I'm extremely, extremely, extremely grateful to the universe that I get to do the work that I'm doing. Mm, that's nice. Well, we have a, a little tradition here, so I want to start out our interview with our perennial question, and it's right up your alley. So, Dr. Carolyn Baker, what does all things connected mean to you? Well, thanks for that question, because it means that there's absolutely no separation except in our minds, that we are eternal beings. And we are connected with all other living beings and that part of the work of our, our human existence is to really come to understand what that means. Mm, thank you. Uh, I, I think we're going to come to understand what that means throughout this hour with with the topic of this book and, and what we have to talk about. But I, I, I want to be honest with you. I, I love your work. I love your message. And when I came to prepare for the show... My heart just sunk with the language of the apocalypse and, you know, and, and the fear piece out there. And yet you're so not about fear and you really inspire people to look at 
the future and becoming more resilient and all of these things. So let's just put this in a framework for our listeners first, because you've kind of defined apocalypse and and I guess from my perspective, I, I look at, you know, Barbara Marks Hubbard talks about us evolving consciously and evolving by choice, not chance, and that breakdowns lead to breakthroughs. And, and whether we're looking at climate change or whether we're looking at education and healthcare and governance, and I mean, we could just go on and on so much, so many systems are breaking down right now. And, and you focus a lot on the, um, climate change and 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 call it this apocalypse. So let's put that into perspective for our listeners. Let's talk about sure. the, the um, title. Yeah. I did a I did a um, a radio a TV show a couple of years ago uh, that was actually called Reclaiming the Apocalypse, and I really like that title because that's part of what I'm doing. Um, this title, "Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse," was actually given by my publishers, North Atlantic Books, because the title I had submitted was "Love in the Last Emergency." you know, which may be better or worse, but it didn't have the word apocalypse in it. And we need to remind ourselves, apocalypse just simply means the unveiling. Um, And so the fear piece uh, is a very important piece, actually, because um, I go back to the wise words of Miriam Greenspan in her wonderful book, Healing Through the Dark Emotions. And I did a webinar a couple of years ago called Befriending the Dark Emotions, in which I talk about uh, becoming a student of fear, you know, not pushing it away, not shoving it down, but saying, okay, fear, here you are. What do you have to teach me? You know, Lawrence Gonzalez wrote a wonderful book on survival and how, you know, people who are uh, extreme sportsmen and, and athletes and, and people who work in the wilderness and climb mountains and so forth, um, they need to um, remember that fear is, is going to constantly be with them in whatever they're doing if it's risky and to make friends with it because if they push it aside and say, oh, I'm fearless. Um, that is a sure ticket to their doom. So, um, okay, so I'm scared. Well, what do I need to learn in, in this fear? What is, what is the gift in this apocalypse or unveiling for me? And, uh, you know, maybe in a moment we'll get a chance to talk about a planetary initiation because I really feel that's what we're experiencing. Mm, well, let's just do that. Like, what in the world is happening? Tell us about this planetary initiation. I think... <laughs> Those, those words sound so intriguing. Well, yeah. Um, you know, in ancient cultures and still in some indigenous cultures today, um, you know, we have a community of elders. And the elders believe it's extremely important for the young people to be initiated. And so the men take the boys and the women take the girls and they go out into the wilderness someplace and they, you know, they put the child through some sort of ordeal. And the idea is not to just be mean and cruel, but they believe that when this this young person has to be out there by themselves and endure whatever it is, and it's it's always a brush with death of some sort, uh, and, and there's no guarantee that the young person will survive, but they feel this initiation is so important that they're willing to take that risk. So the young person goes out, they're, they're in the wilderness, they go through this ordeal, and they are forced in the process of that ordeal to reach deep down within themselves and find their true eternal self, to find those resources that they never knew they had. 
and that allows them to get through this ordeal, and they come back changed people. They cross a threshold from childhood to adulthood. They come back, and the community welcomes them and celebrates them, and then they take their place in the community as, you know, increasingly becoming elders, and then they get the opportunity to initiate younger people themselves. So I see what is going on in this in this in this present time as a planetary initiation. We are being uh, compelled to go through these ordeals, and, you know, we can remain children and say, oh, I'm not going to go through that, or, oh, I'm just going to think pretty thoughts and everything will be fine, or we can embrace and reclaim this apocalypse and say, yeah, this is an this is an initiation. This is an opportunity for re, for me to reach down in, find out who I really am, and allow my consciousness to be transformed, and allow love to become real to me, to become embodied in my life and my human experience. That's what I see going on. Mm. Carolyn, your words are. Oh my gosh, you're so poetic even in talking about these difficult things to talk about. And that's what I love about you. You are standing up and you're saying, it, you know, it really doesn't even matter what we believe or don't believe about these things. We're facing the reality of change. And you, you do that so eloquently by just saying, let's, let's move into the fear. Let's make friends with the fear. Let's learn from them and step into our own eternal selves. I love that. So th- you know, thank you for that. Yeah, and as a friend of mine says, um, when you're in a meltdown, your job is to melt down. (laughs) (laughs) That's beautiful. Well, one of the things that you talk about that I really want to make sure we jump into, because your book is so, we could talk, we could go 101 directions with this right now, but why connection? What does that really mean for us when, you know, as we're talking about, moving forward and that, you know, our capacity, we will be shaped by our capacity for connection. I love that. Let's talk, what does that really mean? Well, we're one of the few, we are one of the few cultures that really does not understand relationship. Um, You know, Father Richard Rohr, who's one of my, one of my heroes, he's a, he's a Franciscan priest in Albuquerque, has a wonderful organization called, um, uh, the Center for Action and Contemplation. And I put a quote from him at the beginning of my book. You know, he says, all of creation is relationship. And so everyone and everything in our life constitutes a relationship, not just people, but our connections with animals, with our work, with our bodies, um, with everything and everyone in our lives, relationship. And, you know, we talked at the beginning of this program about there is no separation. We are eternal beings connected with ourselves and all of the universe. There just absolutely is no separation. And so practicing, um, you know, these principles in our connections with all beings and all activities in our lives, and I chose 16 in this book to write about, um, that is how we can best navigate whatever our daunting future is. 
tell us what that means could be because we're all going yeah we need each other we're we're connected we're in community or family but what does it really mean how are we going to navigate all this change through connection why can't we do it by ourselves um well because um that's not how we're made <laughs> we're made for, <laughs> we're made for each other and um you know i see the purpose of our human existence is to learn how to extract wisdom from all of our experiences and, as a result of that, to grow in love um, because love is really all that remains and love is the pathway to, to evolution, to the transformation of consciousness. And, you know, if, if we try to do this, this moving forward through these these very difficult times that we're already in and that will be probably worsening, um, we try to do that by ourselves. It just cannot be done. And when we can deepen and develop our love and create community and create these deep relationships with others, um, it's going to take us deeper into our connection with the earth, deeper into our connection with ourselves, And then whatever activism we're practicing becomes more focused, it becomes more compassionate, it becomes more effective um, as a result of this love that is permeating our lives. Mm. That's beautiful. You do write about a bunch of different topics, and and the one that we're on right now is really people, this connection and relationship with people and the earth. And, And one of the things that I clearly heard um, through your writings and, and through this topic is that together, um, it, it, there's, we, we talk a lot about co-creation on our program and co-creation, not meaning collaboration or cooperation between people, but really that synergistic connection, that synergistic play that happens when two or more of us are gathered, the wisdom is greater than what we can even imagine. And so as we're moving forward through change and transition, I just really hear you speaking that recipe that so much more can come through when we're working together, when we access that wisdom, when we connect with the earth, the universe, community. There's so much goodness right there, right in front of us. Well, not only that, but um, more recently, I have been discovering the power of grief to connect people with each other's hearts. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just, you know, and I have a chapter in the book on grief, and I just finished a, a weekend workshop in Providence, Rhode Island, a couple of weeks ago, in which 15, 20 people came together um, to consciously grieve, to grieve for our planet, to grieve for personal losses. And out of that experience, people were so profoundly connected, and they are now exchanging emails all over the place, you know, and I'm in that loop, and I... I don't have time to answer each one, but I, I, I read every one, and I see what people are saying. And now they want to study a book together. And, you know, even though they're thousands of miles apart, there's this incredible thing that happened because they were grieving together. And so I'm very passionate about the role of grief in deepening our love and bringing us very profoundly together. Mm-hmm. Because I think community is created by communing. It doesn't happen from our heads. Oh, sure, there's some logistical aspects of of creating community that have to take place. 
But real functioning community takes place in our hearts. And I talk to people all the time who say, well, I tried to start an intentional community or I tried to live in an intentional community and people couldn't get along and all their issues came up. And sometimes I'll just say, did you guys ever grieve together? And they go, no, no. What does that look like? And so I feel that this capacity to grieve together is one of the most important keys to solidify people in their hearts, to work together, to live together, to transform together. Mm. You know, so the grief piece comes up too. I, I, one of your strong messages is, is not to have that Pollyanna look or feel about what's happening of oh, everything's going to be okay. As you're moving into that fear and making friends with fear, I'm hearing you also um, really inviting us to be friends with our full spectrum of emotions, the grief, the anger, the the fear, all emotions, that we move into it and we move through it stronger. Absolutely. And in my book, Navigating the Coming Chaos, a handbook for inner transition, which I wrote in 2011, I go into all of this very deeply. And um, the people at ThinkCast, which is a corporation that produces webinars, um, asked me a couple of years ago to do a webinar on this very topic. And so it's called Befriending the Dark Emotions. I think people can still access it by going to www.thinkcast, S-Y-N-C-H-C-A-S-T dot net. And there I think you could have access to the recordings of that webinar um, in which we went very deeply into each one of these, you know, what I call the big five emotions, which is um, uh, fear anger, grief, despair, and the one that we don't talk about that much, joy. And if we're willing to go into the grief, if we're willing to deal with these other so-called dark emotions, it profoundly increases our capacity to experience joy. You know, I think we live in a flatline culture where, you know, or a gray sky culture where we're just supposed to hum along and not feel very much you know, we're not even supposed to look too happy because then people would think we're crazy and they'd call us manic or something, um, give us a, some sort of medication to sort of calm us down. Um, and, and so we're really not supposed to feel very much in this culture. And when we can befriend these so-called dark emotions, as Miriam Greenspan talks about, um, then we just begin to experience all these tastes and subtle textures and and, and colors of joy that we didn't really have access to before. Mm, I love that. I love yeah, that. Yeah. So, yes, we are going to put the list of your books on the site so you can literally, you have many recent books and they're also relevant. So thank you for speaking to that. And, and thank you for speaking to the joy. So I want to turn this into, I have a question. I had breakfast a couple days ago with a couple. My husband and I had breakfast with a couple. And literally everything, every topic was turned to the doom and gloom. Every mm-hmm. single topic. We were talking about people's health status, the healthcare industry, the government, our education, and every and, and I'm like trying to speak from this place of, of truth and optimism 
what do you say to people who are really feeling the despair, anger, grief, and anger and fear and, you know, this apocalyptic place where they're really fearing this and they don't know where to go? How, how, could, how might we inspire our listeners and people that we're in casual conversation with? Well, I would just say you don't have to go there and you don't have to live there all the time. I think it's very important to be informed. Um, I produce a daily news digest, which I've produced for eight years, seven days a week, unless I'm traveling, which covers economics, environment, uh, geopolitics, civil liberties, cultural issues. And then I have a, a section on options, which is kind of the good news. But I think it's extremely important for people to be informed, but you don't have to live there. And in my life coaching practice, I work with lots of people um, who come to me because they've been living there. And, and they go, you know, we are in the face of possible near-term extinction. And what's the point, you know? Why should I go to work? Why should I pay my bills? Why should I, you know, and the list goes on. And my, my message to them is, You've got to hold alongside what you know is probably going to happen in the future, the present moment, and suck the marrow out of that moment. You know, appreciate it, cherish it, love it, attend to it as if it were your very last moment. And if we are, as I sometimes talk about in planetary hospice, then the job of hospice is to be very, very present and fully alive as you approach the end. Um, mm. And so I recently wrote an article, which um, I'd appreciate if you'd put up when you put up my photo in the other books, an article entitled, Is There Life Before Death? It was published uh, on the Echo Buddhism website. It's also on my website at carolynbaker.net, in which I talk about, you know, live fully and passionately, even as you know, and as you grieve these things that we're losing, live fully and passionately because grief is also connected with gratitude. And how can I, how can I live in this world with gratitude? Gratitude for every single thing, every day, for the little things and the big things. And when you start really living with gratitude alongside holding the bad news, you'll be amazed at how your life shifts and transforms. Mm. So it, it's almost like there's more than just counter arguing with what's working and all the good news. It's like being real with all of it, like holding mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the whole. It's like this dualistic consciousness that we're talking about moving into unity consciousnesses. There is the bad that's happening. I shouldn't even label it as bad because that's a judgment. There are all these breakdowns happening and there's loss yeah. and grief and anger involved. And there are so many beautiful new initiatives. There are people coming together. There's so many beautiful things that are really working right now. So we hold both of them. We don't just counter-argue. Is that what you would say? That's exactly right. And, you know, it is just, a, just as much a mistake to be focusing on the bad, the bad, the bad all the time as it is to live in la-la land and be focusing only on what's positive. Mm. I like that. Thank you. You know, we're going to take a break in just a few minutes, and I really want to help our listeners 
um, really look at how can they how can they speak to their children? How can they speak to coworkers in the workplace and and the other pieces of the relationships? And you also talk about relationship with our body, relationship with Earth, animals. Mm-hmm. There's so many. There's so much to talk about here. But before we take a break, I want to make sure that our listeners know how to find you. And then um, I'm going to talk about some of your upcoming projects in the next segment as well. But your website where they can find most of your work is www.carolynbaker.net. Excellent. CarolynBaker.net. Just plain old Carolyn Baker on Facebook. Okay. And one of the things that our listeners will enjoy about your website is it is loaded with articles. Like you were talking about your daily mm-hmm. news digest. Mm-hmm. There are layers and layers and layers of things there. And, um, you know, to me, on first glance, there's so much that it could be overstimulating to our central nervous system. <laughs> there's so much truth there about what's happening. But like we just said, we balance it. We hold what's working. We hold the good. We hold what's breaking down. And we we make friends with that. So I just want to remind our listeners that. So again, it's carolynbaker.net, C-A-R-O-L-Y-N. B-A-K-E-R dot net, right? Yeah, Carolyn with a Y, and people can just email me, carolyn at carolynbaker.net. Perfect. All righty. Well, when we come back, we have so much to talk about with these connections and these relationships, and what do we really need to thrive? How do we cultivate these relationships in order to really thrive in everything that's breaking down around us? So we're going to have so much more with Carolyn Breaker after the break, but for right now, we're going to take a break, and we'll be right back. are at risk of foreclosure and losing their homes. Fortunately, help is available. Making Home Affordable is a free program from the U.S. government that has already helped over a million struggling homeowners, and we want to help you. I'm home. I'm home. And I love it. I'm home. I'm home. Find out now what your options are. Go to makinghomeaffordable.gov or call 1-888-995-HOPE. The sooner you act, the better chance we can help you. I'm home. I'm home. Where I be Brought to you by the U.S. Treasury, HUD, and the Ad Council. Sassy! Sassy! This week's episode, Danger at the Old Well. Last one to the old well's a rotten egg. Ha-ha, I win. Whoa! Ah! Sassy! Johnny fell down the well. I'm wet! <laughs> What, Sassy? You know where Mr. Gunderson keeps his rope? Go get it, girl! <laughs> what? You'd rather use his 
time to set people straight about shelter pet adoption? I'm cold! People shouldn't be afraid to adopt from a shelter? Because shelter pets are screened for sound health and temperament? I'm wet and cold! Sassy, what about Johnny? What? Let Johnny sit in the well until he learns to be more self-reliant? Sassy! What do you say? Sassy is brought to you by the Ad Council and the shelterpetproject.org. Remember, adopt. Have you ever lost a cat? And have you ever wanted to get your cat back after you lost it? Hi there, I'm Andrew Hoffman. I went on this website called inventnow.org. Then I decided to make an invention of my own. It's called the Lost Cat Magnet Invention. So you can get your cat back after you lost it. Just turn it on and lost cats stick to it. That's a good cat. If your cat was hiding up in a tree, it won't be up a tree anymore. It will be stuck to the lost cat magnet. And sometimes they fly toward you in the air. Just listen to one satisfied cat. See, that's proof. You should go to the inventnow.org website too. But just remember one thing. Don't do a lost cat magnet. Anything's possible. Keep thinking. Get started on your own inventions or just play some games at inventnow.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office, the National Inventors Hall of Fame Foundation, and the Ad Council. Now, back to the Dr. Julie Show. All things connected on Empower Radio. We're back on the Dr. Julie Show, and this is Dr. Julie Crawl. Our guest today is Carolyn Baker, and we're talking about her new book, Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse. And I want to just remind you to stop by our website, thedrjulieshow.com. If you like what you're listening to and want to grab that archive, send your friends to listen to it, send them to thedrjulieshow.com, or you could send them to Empower Radio as well. And stay connected all week on our Facebook page, All Things Connected with Dr. Julie. And again, Again, Carolyn's website is carolynbaker.net. Carolyn, before the break, we were, oh, there's so much to talk about here. And I, I've just been taking notes at all the, the amazing phrases and advice you have, you know, from making friends with fear. Is there, um, grief is connected with gratitude. Communities created by community. There's so much wisdom here in it, and it does boil down to connection and, and present moment awareness. I, I love the, the phrase also that suck the marrow out of this moment and be very, very present. So these are all really good. I, I just want to start this segment off with our children. These are really good advice for adults who, um, can be contemplative and mindful and and aware and do their own research. What do we do for our children right now? How do we speak to our children about what's going on? Well, uh, in my book, Love in the Age of Ecological Apocalypse, I do have a chapter, an entire chapter, on children and collapse. And I talk about, you know, the developmental stages of children and how to talk to them at various ages. And then in the very back of the book, I have a series, a three-part article series, by a young mother named Amanda Whitman, who lives in Vermont. Uh, And the title of that series is Raising Kids for a Resilient Future. Um, I think our children are much smarter and wiser than we give them credit for. And one of the things I talk about in the book, um, as I finish up in the book with a final chapter, 
uh, on the future and how to face the future, our relationship with future generations, it's called. Um, I say that one of the most important things we can do is nourish the gifts that our children gave, gave, came here to give. And, you know, um, we can see those gifts very often early on. Um, you know, I, I remember so well when I was five, and my mother had me standing up reciting poems. And I, you know, at the time I'm sort of going, well, you know, yeah, okay, I can do this. I don't really want to. And then I got into it. And then it was sort of like it was part of my body. It was part of my DNA. And, uh, you know, and then I did more and more public speaking. And I won awards for public speaking in high school and yada, yada, yada. You know, uh, my mother um, began to recognize my gifts. And to this day, I am grateful to her and dedicated this book to her, actually, for recognizing those gifts. So, um, you know, your children are probably going to come home from school with, you know, pretty awesome information or maybe even scary information about the future. And you'll have wonderful opportunities to talk with them uh, about these things. Um, my friend Guy McPherson and uh, a woman named Pauline Schneider have, writtenly, have recently written a children's book um, about talking with your kids about the future, and uh, that is going to be advertised on my website. So stay t- it hasn't been released yet, so stay tuned to my website for more information about that book. Mm, thank you. You know, it reminds me all the work that, that I've done in schools and when we were looking at at-risk children, which has nothing to do about what we're, you know, we're talking about the environment and all these breakdowns, but we were just looking at the family systems breaking down mm-hmm. and all these at-risk children and the research. I, I love that you um, made mention of the Raising Kids for a Resilient Future. The research on resilience talks about connection. Yes. which is right in line with our conversation. The more connections they have, even if it's the the person serving them in the lunch line at school or the janitor who, who calls them by name and says hello today or the neighbor who, um, you know, brings them cookies. And so this connection piece is also really important for our children that they feel fully connected with their community and environment. Yeah, and you know, as you're talking, uh, what comes to mind is that, you know, and this would be a whole different show, but, you know, one of the things we need to deal with in this culture is, is this, you know, this parenting trend that we've seen in the last 30 years that you're special. In fact, you're so special that you're unique and narcissistic and better than everybody else, and you're entitled, and you know what, you really don't need connection because you have your family. Um, and, you know, I can tell you some horror stories about that where, where young children and teenagers and even college kids don't know how to connect because they've been sheltered and told that they're special and better. Um, mm-hmm. So we really need to allow our children to find out that, you know, they have these unique gifts and they're precious and beautiful, but they're not better than anyone else. They're not entitled, and they need other people. They need other children, other adults. Um, to survive. Mm. Yeah, wow. You know, I never even thought about that parenting style, but it's been very evident for decades now, hasn't it? Yes. You know, and the intention was good. You know, we want to teach children self-esteem. 
not mm-hmm. a very good intention. But then it became like so many things in our culture, taken to the extreme. Uh, until now, you know, uh, so many so many children in our culture are growing up feeling entitled and like they don't have to follow the rules and like mom and dad will bail them out. When I taught in college, uh, toward the end of my teaching in college, which was 2008, 2009, there were actually what we call helicopter parents hovering who would bring their children to college and, 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 and wouldn't leave. I mean, it was almost like, okay, you have to leave now and let your child be here um, and, and let your child experience life because they wanted to continue to keep them, keep them from having any suffering or any negative experiences. You know, and I think children need to be taught that suffering is a part of the human experience. Yeah, so so how do we teach that part to children? How do we teach that suffering is part of the human experience? Well, I think we allow it, and then we use those moments of suffering and pain as a teaching experience. And we teach children kindness, and kindness really comes from suffering. And I feel compelled right now to read this poem that many people are probably familiar with by Naomi Shihab Nye, called Kindness. I I feel I must speak this poem, which is, Before you know what kindness really is, you must lose things. Feel the future dissolve in a moment like salt in a weakened broth. What you held in your hand, what you counted and carefully saved, all this must go so you know how desolate the landscape can be between the regions of kindness. How you ride and ride thinking the bus will never stop. The passengers eating maize and chicken will stare out the window forever. Before you learn the tender gravity of kindness, you must travel where the Indian in a white poncho lies dead by the side of the road. You must see how this could be you, how he too was someone who journeyed through the night with plans and the simple breath that kept him alive. Before you know kindness, as the deepest thing inside, you must know sorrow as the other deepest thing. You must wake up with sorrow. You must speak to it till your voice catches the thread of all sorrows and you see the size of the cloth. Then it is only kindness that makes sense anymore. Only kindness that ties your shoes and sends you out into the day to mail letters and purchase bread. Only kindness that raises its head from the crowd of the world to say, it is you I have been looking for, and then goes with you everywhere, like a shadow or a friend. Mm. Teach our children kindness. Wow, I just want to breathe into that for a minute. That was just really spot on and so beautiful. Thank you for that. The thing that... that moved me to listening to you, Carolyn, in this poem was, again, the unity consciousness of of holding kindness and suffering. It's like that compassion and and suffering and, and, you know, like you mentioned also with the grief and the gratitude. It's like when we hold them both, we really can learn. We're not running away from that suffering or ignoring it or pretending like it doesn't exist or getting stuck in it. Um, well, what a beautiful is, unfolding. Yeah, and this is the crux of indigenous wisdom. You know, Carl Jung really brought this forth 
for our Western minds and hearts, you know, in his time. But this is the crux of indigenous wisdom that is tens of thousands of years old. You know, people understand in those cultures that grief and suffering, light and dark and joy all travel together, that they are inextricably connected. They can't be separated. Um, We're a very young culture. Uh, Sometimes I call us a culture of two-year-olds because we want things to be happy and Disneyland-like all the time. And, you know, older, more mature cultures understand that's not how life works. Mm. Yes. So so this, so what just popped for me listening to this is how do we teach our parents, going back to these children and what to say to our kids, we talked about that you're really special and you're not that special. Um, you know, that's that's part of that unity consciousness that we need to talk about too how do we what would you say to parents the professor baker and psychotherapist <laughs> baker what would you say to parents about teaching healthy ego we need our ego mm-hmm. we need the children to develop themselves individually as human beings and embrace their gifts like you talked about really bring out their gifts but how do we teach that universal essence and that other piece without going overboard with the special thing. Right. Well, um, I think part of it is to teach kindness and, as I said before, to to acknowledge and recognize the gifts that children have and, and to, in a healthy, uh, appropriate, and proportional way, to, to draw out those gifts and emphasize those gifts. And another thing that I think is extremely Extremely important, and I don't know how we can teach uh, the holding of specialness alongside humility without deep connection with nature. You know, we now have an official diagnosis of this culture that most people and definitely a lot of children suffer from nature deficit disorder. And so take your kids outside, let them be with animals. Let them, you know, touch and smell and taste the outdoors and all of the different elements of nature so that they have a heartfelt and a body-felt appreciation for these things. And I think, you know, because we see this in indigenous cultures all the time, this will help to bring a balance between I'm special and I'm not so special. Mm. Thank you. You know, and that your book is really comprehensive with a lot of different relationships and and how to cultivate the relationships. And you brought up the nature piece. And I really want to talk about our relationship with nature and our, our relationship with our body. And then you even talk about the universe. So let's go there about even our listeners here today about how important it is to cultivate a relationship with nature so that we can thrive through all these changes. What, what else do we need to know about our relationship with nature? Well, the first thing we need to really know and understand is that we are nature. Nature is not something out there that's separate from us. Nature, We are nature. We are the earth. And so we, too, as adults, need to be going out on a regular basis and feeling, touching, smelling, tasting nature um, so that so that this separation doesn't exist in our minds, and you know, I notice that when people do this, profound things happen in in their consciousness, and and they begin to really relax into life and savoring life. 
um, I work with a lot of people who are fierce defenders of the environment. And, and sometimes I'll say, so how much time do you spend in nature? Uh, well, not that much. And so, you know, what often happens is people are on the computer or they're out, you know, organizing and in meetings to fight for the environment, but they haven't felt, touched, tasted, smelled, and reveled in that environment. And when we do, that profoundly changes us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great prescription. How about our relationship to our bodies? I mean, talk about mm. Earth. We are Earth, and our bodies are the Earth elements. But what is that? What about our relationship with our own bodies? Well, that is a huge wound in Western culture. Um, I guess the big headline that came out uh, certainly this week—I don't think it was out last week—is that more Americans now are obese as opposed to just being overweight. Um, we, we had a huge spike in obesity and, of course, illnesses in the last uh, 50 years or so. Um, our, our bodies have become civilized, you know. Uh, they've become tamed and caged in certain ways. Um, and, and we have not really... There's, there's such a split between mind and body, and even though, you know, like since the 80s, we've been talking about the mind-body connection, uh, for most of us, we still haven't gotten it. And so we need to develop a new relationship with the body. And my hope is that we can do that without being diagnosed with a life-threatening illness. Um, you know, it's, it's so easy to live in our heads. And one of the slogans I use in this book is, living in your head keeps you dead, because it keeps us cut off from the body. And, you know, the, the head's over here, the body's over here, neither of the two shall ever meet. And that can lead to illness. Um, that can lead to profound stress. And so I highly recommend, um, you know, doing things that will cultivate body awareness. Now, that could be going to the gym or taking walks every day, uh, or that could be practicing yoga, shigung, um, other Tai Chi, other body practices that help us integrate the mind with the body. But we absolutely must um, attend to our bodies and develop a relationship with it because once we do, then I think we're not going to take the body of the universe, the body of Earth, for granted at all. It will be easier than to viscerally feel the Earth is my body. I'm not separated from it. Hmm. I, I, yeah, I love your wisdom. I could listen to you for hours and hours. We were talking about the body and the mind being so separate, and and I, I totally agree. When we're really feeling embodied, we feel our deeper connection with the earth. What about our soul? What's our relationship with our soul? Well, you know, uh, the Greeks called soul psyche, and so psyche is. Um, you know, that that part of us that uh, is not just the locus of our mind, because our mind is something different, and people have argued, is the body and the soul, or is the soul and the body? I tend to see psyche as this kind of big field that is all around us and within us, and it is connected with the eternal. And if we are going to mature as you know, spiritually mature human beings, then we must have this 
come to Jesus meeting, pardon the, the, the use of the term, with the ego. Um, because in the first part of our lives, we were talking about children a while ago, um, they absolutely need the ego. And we need our egos big time in our 20s and 30s to get our lives going and decide what our career is and who we're going to marry and so on and so on. But then usually around midlife, um, the, the, the purpose that the ego serves begins to sort of diminish. We still need it, of course, because how are we going to find our way to the bathroom and who's got the car keys? You know, we've got to have the ego. But the ego comes to, to take a place in our psyche which is way too big. And so the spiritual journey is about helping that ego find its own place and helping and assisting the soul, the spirit, the, the eternal within us to grow and become larger than just this, you know, uh, small perspective that the ego has of who we are. Mm. Well, that ties in with your chapter on work and the creative soul, because as we're really discovering that larger um, perspective, it really helps to inspire our vocation. You want to talk a little bit about our relationship with work and the creative soul? Yeah, you know, um, it's very easy for us in this culture to become workaholics. Um, this culture is really all about, um, you know, making a livelihood. And very few people, I find, um, have jobs that they really love. Um, and bless you if you do. I'm so happy for you folks if you, if you have a job that you really love. Um, most people in this culture are doing things that they feel they have to do. Maybe they're working two or three jobs, all of which they hate, but they got to make ends meet. And, and so a lot of people come to me and they say, you know, I can't do the work I was doing anymore now that I know about these breakdowns of systems and catastrophic climate change and where we're headed. And, you know, and, and like, you know, we may be facing near-term human extinction I can't keep doing what I'm doing anymore. So I need to reinvent myself or I need to find what my gifts really are, what my true work really is. And, and so, you know, we have to find work that is not about facilitating infinite growth on a finite planet. Um, and, and we have to find work that really expresses who we are and above all that serves that provides meaningful, compassionate service in the world and, you know, that brings meaning and purpose to our own lives. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, um, if we don't have those, then it can become very easy to become addicted to work or just work ourselves into oblivion thinking that that's what we have to do and there aren't any other alternatives. Mm, Thank you. Carolyn, I want to talk a little bit about some of the things that you have coming forth. But before we do that, I'd really love to ask you another one of our questions that we love here on the Dr. Julie Show, All Things Connected. And that that is, we like to talk about dreaming the world into being and co-creating a positive future. And what is your vision for, a, for the future? Where are we going and how are we getting there? We talked a lot about what's going on in this moment. Where do you think we're going? Well, I think the external future is not looking good at all. Um, 
You know, we had this wonderful encyclical by Pope Francis this week who just laid it out in lavender. You know, he told us so clearly. I, I, I haven't heard a world leader speak this kind of truth perhaps ever in my lifetime. Um, so, you know, I think where we're going is, is not, um, I'm not particularly optimistic about it. And I would say that um, we, there are four things that we need to do as individuals and as communities. I would say that we must make a commitment to some kind of spiritual practice and become familiar with indigenous wisdom. I'm not talking about organized religion. I mean a recognition and a relationship with something greater that lives within each of us. Secondly, uh, we must make a commitment to do shadow work. And I'd like to recommend um, a video by Andrew Harvey that you can watch on YouTube. It's about nine minutes long called How Dark is the Shadow? Um, My next book is called Dark Gold, The Human Shadow and the Global Crisis. And in it, I talk about the role that the shadow has played individually and collectively in bringing us to the crises we're in right now and how we heal the shadow. Um, Thirdly, I would say spend time with animals. Uh, We have some 150 to 200 species that are going extinct every day. Do something for animals in some way that makes their lives easier. And finally, make a commitment to be a sacred activist who's allowed radical heartbreak to guide you in a mission in life where you really discover the gifts you came here to give and give them. Whether or not that mission works is not up to you. Your decision is to give your all no matter what. Mm, Beautiful. Beautiful prescription. There's four things. I hope you all took some notes. That was beautiful. So you mentioned your book, and we just have a few minutes till we close here. You mentioned the new book coming out about the shadow, and I know you also have an online summit or symposium that you're going to be working on as well. You want to talk just a minute about those? Yeah, um, in the fall, we're going to be releasing online a symposium in which we're going to be interviewing um, many of the people who are speaking to uh, the different forms of crises that we're in. It's going to be called Beyond Hope, Through Despair into Inspired Living and Heart-Centered Leadership. You can find out about it uh, on my website and on my Facebook page. We are the leaders we've been waiting for, and we're going to interview these folks not from the perspective of being talking heads, oh, give us more information, because people are really kind of choking on information and they're starved for heart-centered uh, spiritual connection and communion with each other. So that's going to be the focus. We're going to be having people talk about how they arrived at the perspective that they're in, how that has impacted them emotionally, and how they're dealing with it emotionally and spiritually. And uh, so it's going to be a a series of talking hearts rather than talking heads. We're excited about it, and you can probably find us on it uh, in September. Check my website, carolynbaker.net, and my Facebook page. Excellent, excellent. Two exciting projects, and you you just keep going. You amaze me. So <laughs> I just want to remind our listeners, you've been listening to Carolyn Baker. We've been talking about her many books and projects, and you can find her again at carolynbaker.net and on Facebook. And there is a wealth of information. Like you said, I know we information is... Um, 
we have this epidemic of information here. Uh, but if you want to learn more about what we're talking about today, visit her website. It is really quite extensive, and there's so much there. The Talking Hearts Symposium sounds incredible. Thank you for bringing that to us. I'm looking forward to that. Do we have time for a poem? Well, we have about one minute. Well, that's probably probably not enough. Um, I wanted to just mention a poem by W.S. Merwin called Thanks. And uh, I I won't read it now because I think it might take more than a minute. But um, thank you, Julie, for allowing me to be on this program. Oh, thank you. And thank you, Carolyn. We are honored to have you here. And um, it's yes, there's so much right here. And we could we could do this for hours. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom with us here today. Thank you. You betcha. And to our listeners, we'll see you right back here next week. Bye bye.